Welcome to the Walder Sportscast with your host, Chris Walder. Welcome everyone to episode 22, the Tiago Splitter, if you will, of the Walder Sportscast. Shout out to my friend Calvin for thinking I should name drop players again in my intro. Uh, I'm your host, Chris Walder, and if you like, go ahead and give me a follow on both Twitter and Instagram at Walder Sports. And please subscribe to the podcast and leave a rating and review if you like what you hear, because it helps out the show a great deal. So here we are again, a month away from the start of the 2021 NBA campaign, you know, shortest offseason ever. We seriously blazed through the NBA draft, free agency, and what have you, and the new season is just on the horizon in the blink of an eye. So here to talk some free agency with me, along with all of the latest NBA news, is my good friend Chico Nishan, who's an NBA news editor for The Score in downtown Toronto, just like past guests Will Seguir, Joseph Cacharo, and John Chick. I I noticed that Chico invested in a blue microphone, so I'm sure the audio quality will be top of the line today, and he's just a good all-around dude with a wealth of basketball knowledge to share, so I'm excited to have him on following what's been a pretty hectic news week. Just a side note, though, we recorded this on Saturday evening, so Chico and I just missed the news of Serge Ibaka agreeing to a two-year contract with the Los Angeles Clippers, who are now in the business of stealing Raptors players for some reason, but I made this point on social media, and I'm going to make it here. I truly believe that Ibaka wanted to stay in Toronto. You know, he loves the country, he loves the fans. The team reportedly offered him a one-year deal worth $12 million as opposed to the longer deal he got in Los Angeles. You know, However, the Raptors aren't playing in Toronto this season. They're playing in Tampa Bay, so the incentive of him returning lessened because that connection won't even be there for a year. He won't be in front of the fans. He won't be at Scotiabank Arena. So he goes to the Clippers. You know, He reunites with Kawhi Leonard and has a shot at a ring during this crazy COVID season. So... I wish him well. He was a fan favorite and an all-time Raptor, and a champion, of course, so he won't be soon forgotten. But before I bring Chico on, I encourage you to check out my last episode with former Toronto Raptors point guard Alvin Williams. Uh, After a slew of emails, I finally reached contact and made the show happen, and it was seriously so cool to do, you know. Alvin was hilarious when bringing up his good friend Kyle Lowry and their one-on-one battles in the past. You know, he talked about his infamous playoff runs with the Raptors in the early 2000s, the shot he drilled against the New York Knicks playing Philadelphia in the second round. So many good stories to tell. It was just a great show, and I hope you give it a listen. With all that being said, though, Chico Nishan will be with me after this quick break, so keep it locked. Joining me now is Chico Nishan, who's an NBA news editor for the Score mobile app in downtown Toronto and a former senior writer for CBC Sports as well. Chico, buddy, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Not a problem, Walter. Thanks for having me on. 
how have you been, man? It's been over a year since I last saw you with the rest of the SCORE crew. Obviously, the world has undergone some massive changes since then, which is kind of an understatement. But how have you been holding up? And how has it been working remotely, you know, covering a league that, you know, pushed through the end of its regular and postseason and is now kind of set on returning a lot sooner than we expected? Yeah, I've been doing all right. I'm off first and foremost. I've been pretty fortunate to have been uh, working throughout the whole pandemic so far. I know that's not the case for a lot of people, but uh, I've been really fortunate to be able to still be able working full time. And um, with the league, of course, coming back again, we didn't even know if there would be any more basketball after uh, the league was put on hold in March. And um, it's been nice to have the league to have that kind of distraction um, in your life and to have something like that, uh, especially in a tough time like this and being able to cover uh, the sport from home is, is definitely been a new experience, but I think we've done the best we could and have managed as good as possible so far. Is it going to be weird going to the office when you inevitably have to get back to work or are you kind of like situated at home? You got your pajamas on, you can watch as much basketball as you want. Yeah, it's been pretty nice. I'm not going to lie to uh, <laughs> be able to work from the comfort of your home. Uh, whenever that day does come, it's definitely going to be uh, weird, but um it, you do kind of miss seeing the familiar faces, of course, like your coworkers as well. So um, that aspect, um, that's going to be cool looking forward to. But um, I'm not going to lie. I have enjoyed uh, working from the cup from my home. <laughs> well, it's it's good to hear from you, buddy. I thank you again for coming on because seriously, we have a ton of NBA news to cover at this point with the entire offseason. It's kind of breaking through as we speak. And I just want to kick things off with the news coming out of Golden State, Chico, you know, with Clay Thompson, who was already making his way back from a tour ACL, and now he's, you know, suffering from a torn Achilles, which will keep him out the entire 2021 season. Chico, it's kind of hard to imagine the Warriors being a championship contender without Clay. Is this another season, you know, presumably gone to the wayside? Like, is this a death knell for the Warriors as we know them? Or is this just like another speed bump for them as they kind of work their way back to title contention? Uh, it's definitely going to be tough. Obviously, you lose a guy like Clay, one of the best shooters in the entire league. Um, that's just someone that you really can't replace. Um, you know, whether you're looking for, you know, a, a star out there, unless you can land someone like that. But uh, replacing a guy of that caliber is going to be pretty tough to do, and they're going to have to kind of do it by committee and see if they can kind of replace some of the production um, that he's lost. But yeah, like you said, for, for all these years, the Warriors have kind of dominated and kind of made it look easy. And then all of a sudden, they, you know, Clay missed the entire year last year as well because the ACL injury. Uh, Steph was limited in the terms of the games he was able to play. Um, and it really was a rough year for them all around. But right. I, I don't want to kind of write them off the table. Um, I know Steph probably is looking forward to getting back on the court and kind of reestablishing himself as one of the best talents in the entire league. And, you know, they do have some trade ships available, um, whether they pair Andrew Wiggins in the deal. And, you know, who knows if they put James Wiseman on the table. I think yeah. um, with the Warriors, I think they kind of owe it to that um to that core and to like Draymond Green and Steph Curry to kind of go for it and try to not even waste even one season. I ask you this because, you know, you're a draft guy, at least more of a draft guy than I am, which isn't saying much. I don't really follow a lot of college basketball and what have you. Do you think Golden State made a mistake in the draft? You know, with Thompson being out by, you know, not moving the pick or, you know, perhaps instead using it to take a guard like LaMelo Ball, for example, or are you confident that James Wiseman will benefit them in the long run? I always thought Wiseman was the best pick for this team um, before and pre 
before or after the, uh, the injury to Clay Thompson. I think it kind of depends who was on the table um, in terms of like trade proposals they got. Uh, they did, were definitely shopping the pick, and there was a rumor out there that they had an offer uh, for the number four pick as well as Wendell Carter from the Bulls uh, for the number mm-hmm. two pick, which would have been interesting. Uh, I think Wendell Carter would have fit in nicely with the Warriors as well, but I do like James Wiseman a lot. I know he only saw that he only played three games uh, in the NCAA last year, uh, but he had quite a high school career. Uh, McDonald's All American, a Jordan Brand Classic. He was the co MVP of that with Cole Anthony, who was also uh, drafted the other night. And the way that the Warriors, I mean, the Warriors have been so dominant for quite some time, but. I don't think they really had the athleticism um, of a guy at the five position throughout their reign. And that's something. I mean, the Warriors were able mm-hmm. to accomplish that much without really not having, um, you know, kind of an established, uh, really talented center with all due respect to, you know, guys like JaVale McGee, uh, <laughs> David West, and uh, all the other guys that kind of filled in for that position. But I think Wiseman kind of fits in there perfectly um, as kind of that rim running big who can run in transition for them. And uh, he's definitely got a lot to prove after not being able to play last year. But uh, I do like his skill set and how he fits on that roster. Are we confident that a guy like Andrew Wiggins is going to evolve into a splash brother? Or is that just asking too much at this point? I don't really know what to expect from Wiggins. I mean, uh, obviously, he's Canadian and I'd love to see him do well. And, uh, you know, I do have a soft spot for the guy, but... I mean, it, he's, you kind of feel like at this point of his career, if he's unable to figure it out with the Warriors and a guy like, guys like Draymond Green, Steve Kerr, Steve Kerr and uh, Steph Curry around him, all those important voices and smart guys, if, if they're unable to kind of get the best out of Wiggins, then you kind of have to wonder, you know, he is who he is at this point. Um, yeah. So obviously he's going to have to be able to shoot the ball. I think that's going to, especially from three from downtown. I think that's going to be really important for their spacing, but um, I don't know what to expect out of him this year. Well, I, I bring up the Canadian, obviously, you know, I, I reside in Canada. I'm a big Toronto Raptors fan. And I'd like to think that there are some Raptors fans out there listening to the Walder Sportscast. And I say that because, you know, we had the big news breaking today. Fred Van Vliet sticking with the franchise, 85 million over four years, will remain north of the border, or I guess Tampa Bay for a year anyway. We'll see how that kind of transpires. But Chico, what was your initial reaction to the Van Vliet deal? Was it a fair price for him? Or did you think maybe he left money on the table with another team? He probably left a little bit on the table, but I'm not even too sure uh, who he actually spoke with today. Uh, There was a report out there that the Knicks didn't even have a meeting with him, which is just (laughs) typical. It's incredible. I mean, like, I, I don't even, even if you didn't know you're, even if you, the chances were probably highly unlikely he was heading there. I think you kind of have to at least have the meeting, do your due diligence. And I mean, you never know, right? Um, you have to at least go with the meeting and see what happens. But um, the fact that the Knicks took themselves out of the running for Van Fleet, it pretty much left it between Toronto and I think the Hawks might have had the only other team that might have had cap space. But sure. Um, I mean, at, at that point, you already knew he had that feeling that he was going to stay in Toronto. I mean, he was already working out with Kyle Lowry throughout the off season, so <laughs> um, I would have been completely shocked. But um, he did leave. The way the contract is structured, from what I understand, is that he does. Um, I think it's front loaded towards the end. I want to say, um, but anyhow, the way it's structured, it does leave them uh, the max space, the max slot available for next off season, where you know. 
Giannis and uh, company are going to be available on the uh, free agency market. Haven't you heard from Raptors Twitter that Giannis to Toronto is already set in stone? <laughs> That's been out there, I feel like, for the last year from them. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll talk that into existence. And, uh, you know, something that Raptors fans don't want to talk about is the inevitable day that Kyle Lowry is no longer a part of the team. And, and that's kind of what this Van Vliet signing signals is like kind of a passing of the torch in the way. Not to say that Kyle Lowry is going to be leaving anytime soon. Maybe he will. Maybe this is his last hurrah with the Raptors. But do you kind of envision Van Vliet being someone that can take over that mantle and become like the primary facilitator for the Raptors? Because, you know, right now he's a two guard, you know, an undersized one at that. But, you know, surely he has aspirations of having the ball more in his hands. Is he the type of player that can manage that, Chico? I think so. I think we saw last year, I think for him to take that big step, um, to be able to shoot the ball as well as he did and also facilitate a little bit. Um, he's definitely improved in terms of running the pick and roll, and I, th- I think that's was an area of his game that he did struggle a little bit early on, but uh, he's definitely improved a lot in terms of running the pick and roll. And, and they're kind of set up nicely. I mean, they drafted Malachi Flynn um, in the draft the other night, and ironically enough, he's kind of a guy that's kind of had um, – characteristics and comparisons to Fred Van Fleet uh, in the sense that he's not really he's not huge he doesn't have the length but he's a guy that really defends his ass off and um, he can shoot the ball really well and already runs a pick and roll effectively and so um, I think they they got a nice gem uh, late in the first round there he's a guy that probably could have gone a little bit higher in the first round but kind of played at a mid-major school at San Diego State and so obviously he does that doesn't have the flair of a Duke or North Carolina for example and mm-hmm. um, it really helped in the Raptors benefit to land a guy like him and that late in the first round. Do you think that's something that's going to eventually bite the Raptors in the butt somewhere down the road? I mean obviously it hasn't yet with Kyle Lowry and Fred Van Vliet but I think we all have to realize and we can see it with our own eyes is that Kyle Lowry and Fred Van Vliet are undersized. Malachi Flynn isn't exactly tall himself. You know, with the league kind of progressing more and more towards bigger backcourt players, is this something that Toronto is going to regret at some point? I think teams have kind of, I, I think teams have kind of looked at that and tried to attack these guys in certain scenarios. Um, I think, for example, in Boston, um, whether you had uh, Jalen Brown or Jason Tam, they tried to get them in switches um, so they can purposely kind of attack either or and use their size advantage. And um, yeah, the, the size difference is definitely um, a tough thing for them to, to overcome on the um, against opponents. But um, with the way the, the league is turned, like you said, that's a good point. I mean, there is a lot of guys that are the taller guards, um, guys like Lamelo Ball, for example, um, that are just taller and they'll be able to have that more potential defensively. Um, only time will tell if <laughs> you know if teams are will be able to kind of kill Toronto in that way, but uh, we'll see what happens. Well, you you compare this Van Vliet contract to what Gordon Hayward is reportedly landing with the Charlotte Hornets, you know, $120 million over four years, and I had to kind of sneak some Boston Celtics slander in here as well. You know, we're talking about <laughs> a 30-year-old forward who did, you know, he played well, he, he shot well last season with the Celtics, but he comes with a fairly extensive injury history now. So, so Chico, who do you think looks worse at this point? Is it the Hornets for making this deal and arguably overpaying while also waving Nicholas Batum, mind you? 
or is it the Celtics for, you know, at least not trying to pull off a sign-and-trade with Hayward, who, you know, like uh, Adrian Wojnarowski noted on Twitter, is the second max player that they've lost in recent years? I mean, I, I, I think it's still try to pursue a sign-and-trade. I think, uh, I don't know if that's done yet, but I think the Celtics might still be able to do that. But um, it is wild that the Hornets kind of went all in there on Gordon Hayward. Obviously, he has... The injury history as well and hasn't been able to stay on the court uh, for most yeah. of that tenure he has in Boston but um, it's it's tough to be a Hornets fan I mean they haven't had much to cheer for and I know they obviously want to try to make the playoffs for once and see um, if they can generate some kind of excitement there in that fan base and I think they're um, they're in for a treat with LaMelo Ball this year but um, yeah, it's it's a weird move for, for the Hornets to kind of choose Hayward as the guy they kind of want to push their chips all in for. Um, but yeah, it, it is, like you said, it is a bad look on Boston to, to lose another guy like that and to lose him for potentially nothing. But there is a sign-and-trade uh, avenue uh, possibly available for them, so maybe they might be able to get something back. Is Charlotte going to stop anybody out there? You, you know, you look at the potential starting lineup. You got, you know, Devontae Cram, who's evolving into something. But you have Terry Rozier, you know, the draft pick, LaMelo Ball, Gordon Hayward. Like, none of these guys are going to be, you know, confused for defenders. Like, is this a, a team that needs to make more acquisitions? Or are they just going to have to hope that, you know, they outscore the opponent 160 to 157 to win a few basketball games? Yeah, they're definitely going to need a lot of help on the defensive end. I'm not sure who's left in terms of the centers. They kind of seem flying off the board, and Detroit kind of took all of them too. But uh, they'll definitely need some defensive help. And I know in the draft, they, Wiseman was kind of a guy that um, that they were kind of eyeing and were hoping that would be around with the third mm -hmm. overall pick. And that would have been a nice kind of building block to have, a guy who could potentially be an elite rim protector, I think, they were really hoping for that opportunity to, um, to maybe draft them. And maybe they were kind of deciding to move up to number one taken because the Warriors were, were definitely going to take him if he was there too. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they definitely need some help, especially at the center position. I think they only have, I want to say it's Cody Zeller's the only guy oh, under good Lord. center under contract right now. Yeah. So I think Frank Kaminsky might have got. He might have got waived. I'm not 100% sure, but they're actually, he was on the Suns last year. Yeah, he but, was on the Suns. Yeah. But yeah, bottom line is they really don't have anybody at the five right now. Yeah, that's how irrelevant Charlotte is at this point. We didn't, we thought Frank Kaminsky was still around, and look at him. He got uh, waived by his new team. We need to keep up to date with these guys, Chico. <laughs> It's not happening, but uh, you know, I was talking about undersized point guards before, like Fred Van Vliet, and perhaps there's no more noteworthy undersized point guard in NBA history than Chris Paul. And he was the one that kind of got the the frenzy started, uh, you know, for free agency with trades. You know, he's heading to the Phoenix Suns and, you know, from the Oklahoma City Thunder for players who are no longer in OKC, like Ricky Rubio and Kelly Oubre. You know, you pair CP3 with Devin Booker and uh, DeAndre Ayton. And Phoenix also recently swooped up Jay Crowder. But Chico, the Western Conference is stacked. So these moves don't necessarily guarantee Phoenix anything. So it's very early and, you know, moves are still coming through. but. How far up the, the Western Conference totem pole do you see, you know, the Phoenix Suns climbing now that they have Chris Ball? If what they showed in the bubble, that 8-0 stretch, if that's real, then, I mean, they'll be right there for that, um, that fight for that eighth playoff spot. Um, I, I'd like the move to get Chris Paul. This is a team that, you know, hasn't really had a sniff of the playoffs in quite some time. And, 
you know, you saw what the the impact that Chris Paul had in those young guys last year in OKC with Shea yeah. Gilgis Alexander and Lugan Stewart. I think having the experience to learn from a Hall of Famer like that and kind of pick his brain was, you know, such an invaluable experience for Shea. And I think he's going to only grow from that and that will help him moving forward. But and similarly, I think Devin Booker playing in the backcourt alongside him is going to be able to pick his brain as well and kind of learn a lot. And uh, DeAndre Ayton to have that experience to, to work with a playmaker, a guy like Chris Paul's caliber. Um, it's great for the, the young guys there in Phoenix and it's good for the fan base. I mean, it's got to be rejuvenating for them to kind of see ownership finally make some smart moves and kind of go for the playoffs. And they do have a realistic shot if what they showed in the bubble is for real. It's always so sad. Like you bring up the fan base and sure, Chris Paul running the Phoenix Suns offense would be great. And you even mentioned the Charlotte Hornets as well. Like, oh, it's box office to see guys like LaMelo Ball and Gordon Hayward. But lest we forget that there's not going to really be a lot of fans in attendance for a majority of these games, if any. It's kind of depressing to look at it when you when you consider the upcoming season and, and all of the big names kind of moving about that no one's going to be really around because of this pandemic. Yeah, I mean, I mean, we felt it last year, right, when they were in the bubble. Um, I think the NBA did as good of a job as possible, uh, you know, with the virtual boards they had there um, and even the sounds from, like, the chants. Like, I think when the Heat play, they played Seven Nations Army. I thought that was kind of a cool little yeah. touch uh, to kind of bring a little bit of that home atmosphere. But, yeah, it really isn't uh, quite the same without the, the fans there. And, um, you know, hopefully, you know, I don't think we'll see it this season, but the season afterwards, we'll be at least able to have some fans back and obviously do it um, and make sure it is safe as well. Well, I'm, I'm constantly, I have Twitter open on my desktop here. I'm always keeping it open on the off chance that a big move comes through or, you know, Giannis Antetokounmpo still hasn't signed his Supermax, if that's what he's planning on doing. And I look at the Milwaukee Bucks, Chico, a team that, you know, a lot of Raptors fans admittedly are keeping an eye on to see if they're screwing the pooch in terms of whether or not they can keep Giannis for the long term. But, you know, and, and like we mentioned before, it's kind of a recurring theme on Twitter that Raptors fans fully expect him to come to the team. So, so we start nitpicking everything that they do to determine whether or not he'll sign the Supermax, which as of now he hasn't. But you put everything into a blender, Chico. You look at uh, Milwaukee giving up a King's Ransom for Drew Holiday. You look at the Bogdanovich deal not going through. And then today they signed Bobby Portis. They signed DJ Augustin. They gave $16 million to Pat Connaughton for some reason. Are the Bucks better positioned now, Chico, to make a run at a title than they were at the end of last season? And do you think... Just looking at these moves, you know, through a glass wall here, do you think they've done enough to convince Giannis that Milwaukee is a place he needs to be for the foreseeable future? I'm not sure if they've if they've gotten better, but I don't think they've gotten too much worse from last year. Um, Drew's a fantastic player. I really think he's been underrated throughout the years. And, you know, his defense, I mean, I don't think there's a better, there are very few better defenders at the point guard position than Drew Holiday. Um, and Agreed. I do like that um, that addition for them. Bogdanovich, I think, would have been a great add as well. A guy that, you know, who's able to shoot the ball from downtown, but also um, playmake as well. And, uh, I mean, they kind of had their own uh, guy like that in Malcolm Brogdon, but they chose to let him go <laughs> the offseason <laughs> yep. before. Um, and, you know, if they'd re-signed him, I think they'd be in a different position maybe, possibly. But, I mean, we'll never know um, what that team would have looked like if Brogdon was able to stay. But... Um, you know, it's it's tough to kind of get excited about signing a Bobby Porter's or re-signing Pat Connaughton and even locking him for three years. 
I think is pretty crazy. And I think DJ Augustine's a nice stabilizing uh, point guard. I don't, I'm not sure if he's going to come off the bench for them. Probably, most likely. I, I know they have a spot in the backcourt available with Wes Matthews gone, but yeah. It's tough for me to confidently say that they've gotten better or that much worse. And if you're Giannis Antetokounmpo, I mean, I don't see any reason why he signs that Supermax um, before, um, you know, before the deadline next month. I think he he has to play out the season and uh, it's going to be make for nervous times ahead for Bucks fans. So then who are you liking in the Eastern Conference right now? Because the Bucks should still be up there at the top of the standings. You know, the Heat coming off the NBA Finals appearance, they, they've made adjustments. And the Brooklyn Nets, obviously, they're getting Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving back. The Celtics aren't going anywhere. The Raptors are always in the thick of it. And then, of course, the Philadelphia 76ers making deals to acquire Danny Green, Seth Curry, Dwight Howard. Does one team stand out right now as an early favorite or is it just kind of like a grab bag like it was last season? Yeah, it's it's I, the gap at the top is not uh, it's not too much separating all those teams there. I do like what Miami has done this season. So kind of keeping the guys that they've had last year, and they also have the flexibility of team options. So they'll be able to preserve that max slot um, available next year when the, like the Raptors are probably going to go after Giannis and a bunch of the other big names in the twenty twenty one class. Um, I like what Philly has done, obviously. Uh, they didn't have a great year last year, but as you alluded to earlier, all the moves they made, um, Danny Green, Seth Curry, um, really surrounding that team with a lot of shooters. And, you know, that's been a big weakness for Philadelphia for, for quite some time. So for them to kind of have some more spacing on the floor is really going to help Joel Embiid. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see what, um, what Philly does, but I don't really see much separating, you know, like you said, all those teams you mentioned, and we haven't really seen what the Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving combo looks like. And fair again, all the rumors out there connecting James Harden to them uh, would definitely make for quite an interesting trio if they do end up together. But uh, I think it's pretty wide open race there at the top of the East. Well, don't speak the James Harden to Brooklyn into existence, my friend. It's I'm over the era of the super teams. I kind of like the way the league is constructed right now with every team kind of having two big stars surrounded with role players. I feel like with Brooklyn, we're just kind of going back to the days of Golden State where it was Thompson, Curry, and Kevin Durant, and the end of the season was never in question because you knew they were going to win the championship. Do you think that if Harden goes to Brooklyn, which again, I hope he doesn't, it's going to just kind of spell a repeat of the Golden State Warriors? I'm kind of skeptical about the the three coming together because they all of them are kind of ball dominant players. They all need the ball, and I mean, for the first time in kind of their whole professional careers, one of them is going to have to pass up the last shot. And you know, how is that going to kind of be felt with within the locker room amongst those three guys? Yeah, um, I'm pretty skeptical about. I mean, obviously they're all talented players and elite at the position, but. I don't know how they'll be able to kind of share the ball um, and kind of also maintain that harmony and, you know, mm -hmm. keep things, everything kumbaya and get everyone getting along. So I, it, it'd definitely be something interesting to watch. And um, there could be some fireworks in the locker room and some drama if uh, such a trio were to be able to put together. Well, they got Jeff Green recently. Maybe Serge Ibaka ends up in Brooklyn. Would you be interested in seeing kind of a, a rehash of the, the Seattle Supersonics, the Oklahoma City Thunder Chico? Is that something you'd like to see? It'd be pretty interesting. As a Raptors fan, I'd love to see Serge Ibaka back in Toronto. But mm -hmm. um, he's definitely got a lot of suitors. I 
think maybe the longer that goes, the better the chances are for Toronto. Yeah, I know the the report is that Ibaka was meeting with the team um, late afternoon slash early evening. So um, the fact that he didn't sign during the afternoon is probably good news for Raptors fans because uh, that would mean then he basically didn't meet with the Raptors. So um, the fact that they have met um, and were able to talk at some point today is probably encouraging news for Toronto fans and. Um, there's not many spots that are left for him. Um, and it'll be interesting to see if he kind of takes, you know, a one year deal, um, mm-hmm. you know, maybe 15 to 20 million. It kind of resets and waits till next summer when obviously there are going to be a lot more teams willing to spend and potentially give him the multi year deal that he's seeking. Um, or if, you know, one team decides to, um, to drop the bag and give him a big long term deal right now. Chico, a couple of other moves I want to touch on here with you. The Lakers, of course, you know, reigning NBA champions, as hard as that is to say as a Raptors guy, you know, they lose Dwight Howard. Danny Green, of course, they wave Quinn Cook, but they bring in some quality pieces. You know, Dennis Schroeder, Wesley Matthews, and the sixth man of the year in Montrezl Harrell. Is this the rich getting richer for the Lakers? Or you look at some of those pieces, are they losing some defense in the process here with these moves? It is kind of crazy that it feels like they've gotten better. Um, and that they were able to do that, um, considering that it's not like they have, you know, abundance of cap space available. Um, yeah. But they were able to get creative. I think they used the mid-level exception on uh, Montrez Harrow, who surprisingly wasn't looking for a long-term deal. Um, so he, they were able to get him at a really cheap rate um, in comparison to some of the other bigs that were out there. And I'm sure, obviously, his performance in the bubble didn't help, but... Um, for the Lakers to, I don't even know if he's a great fit on the Lakers, but the fact that they were mm-hmm. able to take him away from the Clippers, I think is kind of like the big victory for them. Um, and then they had a guy, Dennis Schroeder, who is, um, runner up ironically to Harrell in the six man of the year race. And I, I think that's a nice upgrade for them over, um, Danny green and KCP is also coming back, um, as of a couple hours ago. And I obviously, um, He's kind of had his own unique uh, journey with the Lakers over the past couple of years. But, I mean, I give the guy credit. He performed in the playoffs, and I think he was their third leading scorer during the postseason and had his share of big games. And, you know, it's crazy to think that KCP was an important uh, part of their run, but he definitely was um, a huge part of, you know, that championship run for them. Well, uh, he must have been pretty important if he's making $40 million, which I think is a little steep for a guy like KCP, but get the money however you can. It pays to be clutch. Uh, Another player the Lakers lost, of course, Rajon Rondo, who the Atlanta Hawks are giving $15 million to for some reason. You know, he's a a playoff beast, but you wouldn't put the Hawks in that spot just yet anyway, even though they signed, you know, a quality wing like Danilo Gallinari, you know, a Joseph Cacharo favorite, you know, three years, (laughs) $61.5 million. Chico, are these moves? you know for the Hawks the sake of just making moves or is Atlanta really trying to build something credible here I do like what they've actually done uh so far um you you mentioned Gallinari um that's a nice fit to go right into their starting lineup alongside Clint Capella um now that kind of raises questions about um, John Collins's future in uh in Atlanta and it's hard to kind of see him staying when uh, with the investment they made in Gallinari and Collins now wanting a max contract um I don't think he's 
I don't think he's a max player. He, I think he's a very solid player, and he's put up some great offensive numbers. But defensively, uh, he definitely has a lot of problems on that end. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what they do with John Collins. I think that's one name to watch um, in the coming days. But adding a guy like Rondo to uh, play alongside a Trey Young and also adding, I think Chris Dunn was a bargain signing for them. He had a really oh, yeah. good year for the Bulls. And to add a, a defender like that, beside an offensive minor like Trey Young is a is a great fit for them and defense was a huge problem for the Hawks last year and adding Dunn and adding Onyeka Onkogu who is actually um, their first round pick this year he's one of the best defenders um, in the entire nation last year um, and he's a guy I've really liked in this year's draft class he's earned comparisons to the Bam Adebayo with the way he's able to play make um, and also defend on the perimeter as well on guards and so i like what atlanta's done i think they're going to be better next season um and in the east you know that eighth seed is pretty attainable i mean you could be towards the bottom one year but the following year just because of the teams there it, it is a possible thing that you can get and they have the play in tournaments of course that's a thing correct yes yeah i forgot about that too yeah that's going to be in play this year. So there's hope after all for Atlanta, but uh, one team I have no ounce of hope for is the Detroit Pistons. You know, no context <laughs> needed, Chico. What the hell are they doing out there in the Motor City? I have no idea. You're just <laughs> as good as mine. I mean, they opened free agency, and I think their first signing was, I think it was Mason Plumley. Yeah. And it was like, okay, that was interesting. And they gave him like three years in the term, and then right after the next signing was Jaleel Okafor. And it's like, what are we doing here? Mm-hmm. And this, on top of that, I mean, they just traded for Dwayne Dedman the day before, another center. And they traded up to move up in the draft to select, you guessed it, another center in Isaiah Stewart. <laughs> and so I just don't know where all the pieces fit. I think Dedman is actually going to be, um, they're going to wave, they're going to wave him a stretch of salary um, across the okay. next five years. So, I mean, that's one answer, but it still doesn't really explain why you have three centers at the position. And you kind of thought that maybe that they were kind of going for, you know, maybe a youth movement and kind of rebuild. But then they went out and spent big on uh, on Grant, Jaron Grant last night. And he's a great player, but I just don't understand, like, th- that being the move you make right now. And so, yeah, I'm not really sure what's going on there in Detroit, but it is early in the uh, in the free agency period. I'm kind of willing to give the new GM um, kind of the benefit of the doubt and see what he has big picture. But yeah, um, initial look is is a little confusing. <laughs> I was so confused by the the Mason Plumley acquisition specifically because the last we saw of him was in the playoffs when he screwed up that defensive assignment, which led to the Anthony Davis game winner in the playoffs. And I, I couldn't believe that someone was going to pay him that kind of money. And then to top it all off, they keep acquiring bigs, you know, centers. It's kind of like the New York Knicks logic there for a stretch. I just think they're going to build some sort of wall like Game of Thrones and stick all of their bigs under the net and just play defense that way and hope for the best. I mean, Dwayne Casey is a defensive-minded coach, so... Pound the rock. I mean, <laughs> you never know. You might be onto something there, Walter. I'm a basketball genius, Chico. I'm just <laughs> sharing it with the world. But, uh, you know, buddy, we're coming to a close here. I know the minute that we, we sign off from the basketball talk, someone big is going to get moved, like Giannis is going to do the Supermax, or Ibaka is going to go to Timbuktu. I don't know. But before we sign off, buddy, like I do on all of my shows, I have some fun rapid-fire questions to send you on your way. Yeah, let's do it. 
So I did some snooping on your Instagram account, my man, and I didn't do it in a creepy way, I'm just putting it out there, but I noticed way back in the day that you were a huge proponent of hashtag WCW. You know, you had a lot of Woman Crush Wednesday <laughs> photos, and you posted photos of the likes of uh, Anna Kendrick and Alex Morgan and Jessica Alba and so on and so forth. So I'm curious, buddy, who is your Woman Crush Wednesday these days? Wow, you really, you really dug the past there. <laughs> Um, I mean, still Anna Kendrick. <laughs> She's still up there, eh? Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, do you know Pitch- the the Cup song there? The what's what's that movie called? Pitch Perfect. Pitch Perfect. Definitely one of my favorite movies. <laughs> I need to see Chico do the the Cup song. That would just make my life. I I also noticed on your Instagram. Do you still have your autographed photo from Laura Vandervoort? Yes. Uh, she played Supergirl on Smallville. I was a big fan of the show back in the day when they had the. I think they were on for. Might have been a decade. It had ten seasons, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I was a huge fan of Smallville. Uh, kind of, I didn't watch it like right away when it started, but uh, for whatever reason, uh, you know, I got into the whole story of Superman and um, kind of got addicted to the show. I got hooked on. I think I was in university at the time. Yeah. And they, uh, we had this thing called DC Plus Plus, where you were able to kind of it was like file sharing program, so you're able to kind of download files from one another and. People always had a, a bunch of TV shows, and you were able to download seasons off of there and share those files mm-hmm. amongst one another. And Smallville just happened to be one of them, and I got hooked on it pretty quick. <laughs> also, another one of my uh, all-time favorite Chico photos is when you were posing with, I believe it was Hayden Penetier, and she was holding onto your arm, and you looked extremely awkward. And I think you mentioned that in the caption that you know next time you wouldn't be so awkward with your arms and hands if that photo were to happen again do you think you'd be able to compose yourself a little bit better i'd like to hope so um (laughs) i i I can't make any guarantees but yeah that was at fan expo um forgot what year that was Mm -hmm. but i was a huge fan of the show heroes she played uh claire bennett i don't know if you remember that show was on nbc i do yes yeah so I, i love that show a lot and um she was one of the guests that happened to be at Fan Expo that year. And I remember, you know, you're in this room and you get called up to um, the spot where they're taking the photo. And it, the whole thing was kind of just a blur to me. It's like they called my name. I go up, <laughs> shook my hand. She made a comment on my shirt. And by the time you know it, I was taking a photo and I don't even remember. <laughs> I can hardly remember you know, the the whole interaction. But that's all I knew. <laughs> I'm sure a lot of men in that situation would have been the exact same way. So we won't hold it against you. But you, you've mentioned a couple of shows. And I ask everyone this on the podcast, Chico, you know, free time is more of a thing these days during the pandemic. So I'm curious if you found yourself binge watching any shows as of late. Uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine was one. I think I'm on second last season of it right now. That's one show um, I really binge pretty hard. Classic. Um, I am a sucker for a reality TV show, so um, a lot of shows that are on MTV, so like The Challenge, I'm a huge fan of that show, so I uh, I mean, I'm called caught up on all the seasons, but that's something I definitely binge watch as well. My fiance has me watching The Bachelorette. I've never been much of a reality TV show fan, but I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm watching it and I'm hooked for some reason. So I, I used to be one of those guys that would complain at anyone who would watch all of these game shows like Big Brother or Survivor, or, you know, the challenge like you watch. But now it's like I'm watching The Bachelorette. I can't say anything for the rest of my life. Walter, it's great stuff. Trust me, you'll <laughs> like it. <laughs> this well, is just a start for you. 
Oh, thank you. There, there's hope <laughs> for me after all. It's just full speed ahead with all of these reality TV shows. But uh, one show that I, I do know that you love is Jeopardy. And you were a big Jeopardy fan growing up and you started watching the program on the regular again. You know, sadly, we lost Alex Trebek to cancer recently. You know, Chico, how important a show is Jeopardy in your life? And are there any, you know, favorite moments from Quebec that stand out to you the most? I don't know if there's one that kind of stands out the most. Uh, I mean, you always remember him as, you know, this charismatic guy who had a nice sense of humor as well. Um, But I think, and one of the contestants kind of summed it up in a recent clip they released, but um, the one contestant talked about how Alex Trebek and the game show itself kind of helped him teach him English and teach him about different things that um, he thanked Alex uh, for that because they had such an important part in his life growing up as an immigrant in the United States and mm-hmm. I think that kind of resonated with me I mean this this was a show that I watched for sure growing up and you know you, you learn so many different things through the different uh, questions of course that they asked in the trivia um, but I think for me it kind of you know that story of you know that immigrant right I, I mean I was born here in this country but I can kind of relate to that and kind of see how, um, you know, how that can be kind of like fitting into society, right? In a new place and kind of learning about that. So, um, yeah, hearing the news for that was, it was pretty sad. Um, It's tough to hear because, you know, he he looked like he was fine. I mean, you'd watch these episodes and you wouldn't have guessed it um, that he was suffering because he had such a great positive attitude. Well, rest in peace to Alex, an absolute legend. We're definitely going to miss him every week on our television sets. But Chico, you know, to help spread the love on social media, I asked this to Will Sagir, our good friend on the last podcast, when I said, you know, what's one or two accounts on Twitter that you feel more people should be following? And he mentioned you, of all people, you know, your Twitter account. So I'm going to ask you to do the same thing. You don't have to say Will, of course. I'm sure he would appreciate the shout out, but you don't have to. But what are a few accounts out there that you think more people should be following? I will say Will. Uh, I, think he's, uh, <laughs> I think he's one of the guys that you guys definitely should follow. Really knowledgeable basketball stuff. Huge Heat fan, in case you guys haven't noticed. And he is an ally of Filipino basketball. So uh, oh, follow at Will Hoops uh, on Twitter, <laughs> as well as, you know, you talked about this guy a lot. He's the coolest guy we know of. Roof That Peach, a.k.a. Oh, John yeah. Chick. That is another guy you guys should follow. We, we keep ki- kissing Chick's ass on this show. I, I'm gonna, he's going to have to start giving me royalties for all the Chick shoutouts. But uh, we love John Chick. We love Will. And uh, again, hopefully we can all get together once this uh, pandemic is over. Because I need to grab a beer with you guys. I'm sure we have some stories. But uh, Chico, I, again, through your Instagram account, I noticed you've owned a lot of jerseys over the years across many different sports you know nba baseball football soccer you name it which jersey do you think means the most to you in your collection oh boy wow that's a tough one put me on the spot there i'm um, digging deep buddy i i do like my damon stadamar one the purple um uh, first year 95 jersey um mm-hmm. damon is was one of the first basketball players that i felt i kind of um connected with and he was the one guy that kind of helped get me in the sport. Like, I, of course, I, I've watched Michael Jordan around that same time, but um, to have a local guy on the local team, um, not the local high star, but local star on the on the local team in Damon Stadamar, um, I think that kind of helped me get into basketball. And, of course, my fandom of the Toronto Raptors. So uh, when the Raptors re-released those jerseys and you were able to to get those I, I definitely made my decision was easy to get it personalized and to get it with Stadamar's name on it and 
always have a soft spot on the guy. I know he only played a few seasons in Toronto, but mm-hmm. um, he was kind of the first star of the franchise. And uh, it's wild to see how, um, you know, obviously they've become NBA champions since then. And it's also kind of cool to see Damon right now. He's actually coaching um, in the NCAA for Pacific University on the West Coast. And he's been doing actually a pretty good job there. So, um, yeah, it's kind of been a full circle story for basketball with Damon Stoudemire and myself. You bring up your Toronto Raptors fandom, and I understand that Vince Carter had a massive impact on your childhood and you becoming a basketball fan in the first place. Without saying the dunk contest, because that's way too easy, what's one or two moments from Vince's playing career that you'll remember the most now that he's retired? I hate to say this, but um, at 2001, uh, Game 7 against the Sixers. Oh boy. Obviously, it's it's a tough spot for Raptor fans, but for me, it was kind of the first I mean you could say with the with the Knicks and being in that playoff series the year before but uh, for me that's like kind of the first excitement where you kind of clued in the fact that like the Raptors are legit here like they're Mm -hmm. one win away from the conference finals the final four in the NBA of that year Um, so for for me and (laughs) I know obviously for a lot of Raptor fans when that shot went out it was a deflating feeling but um you never thought it would take that much longer for for them to kind of get within a sniff of the conference final. So uh, I I know it's a it's a tough memory, but that one definitely for sure yeah, sticks out for me. Um, trying to think of another one for anywhere else, but that one for me, of course, the dunk contest is one as well. And um, oh, the the first game I think the Raptors played in primetime on the NBA on NBC. Okay, he scored his I think it was the career high fifty one. 51 points mm-hmm. um that was a cool, big deal i mean the raptors obviously had i mean i don't know how many times they've been on national television in the states this was before they made their first um first playoff game that year so for them to kind of show up and you know thrive under the spotlight and of course vince um pulls it together for the team gets the game winning basket and it's also a career high i think that performance was crazy to watch and you know, you have all these memories growing up, especially if you watch basketball in the 90s of the NBA on NBC and having the theme song of that playing before your game and see yeah. Carter do that. Um, you know, and that national spotlight was a really cool moment. So kind of weird choices, maybe. But uh, those are my two moments that kind of stick out the most for him. Chico, where does Jimmy Brooks, a.k.a. Drake, fall on your power rankings of Degrassi, the next generation cast members? Ooh. <laughs> He's up there for sure. I mean, he was a he was definitely a memorable character. Um, you know, I, I do like I did like um, Spinner. Spinner's one of my favorite characters on the show. Gotta love Man- Spinner. Manny was up there. Um, big Manny and Emma fan. <laughs> oh god. Um, trying to think. Um, yeah, he's he's up there. I mean, he he's probably maybe three or four. I was a big fan of Darcy when she was on as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's kind of wild how much how many stars this show has created. You know, this show shot here in uh, here in Toronto and it's produced some you know pretty big names, um, Nina Dobrev and Sinead Grimes, and obviously um, Drake became who he was. But um, I mean, I, I loved the cast a lot. It was and it was cool um, that I was able to kind of meet some of them at the at the Fan Expo. Uh, I think it was last summer, actually. So some of them kind of did a reunion, and 
Um, I had actually watched a little bit, obviously this was before my time, but I had watched a little bit of the old Degrassi on uh, CBC that was on. So with Snake and those guys? With Snake and Joey Jeremiah. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I kind of, uh, it's it's been a cool show for, for me to, I grew up watching it, of course, so for me to kind of see some of um, the old generation mix in with the new generation that I grew up with was pretty cool. Chico, where does attending last year's U.S. Open fall on your sports bucket list? And what other events do you hope to attend in your lifetime? Because I know you've also been to the MLS Cup and the NBA playoffs, correct? That is correct. Uh, U.S. Open, uh, that's up there. I mean, that was a super cool thing um, to go to. I think, um, you know, people talk about the Grand Slams of tennis and, you know, they're obviously a big deal and carry a lot of significance, but until you actually go there and take it all in it's it's breathtaking really i mean i remember walking into arthur ash stadium which is the biggest tennis stadium in the world and you're going up the escalators and you keep going up and up and you just see this beautiful view of new york city first of all and then you kind of look around and be like this thing is massive this is crazy here Mm -hmm. and then obviously you get to see the match you go out take your seats and you just look at the whole show they put on from the opening ceremonies that they had to itself to the actual tennis and you see the the new york crowds and how passionate the the tennis fans that they have there um it truly is something and it's you see it on tv and it's one thing but to actually kind of take it in and see twenty thousand people midnight and you're watching in my case i got to see serena williams and maria sharapova as well as roger Federer, who's my favorite player of all time and that Good was choice. quite a quite a special moment for me, and um, yeah, uh, that's that probably the top of the bucket list. And to answer your other question in terms of other places, um, I'd love to see all three of the Grand Slams, the three other Grand Slams, the French, Australian Open, um, as well as Wimbledon one day. And um, I'd love to go to NCAA Final Four. I think that'd be really cool. I'm a huge college basketball fan, so um, those are definitely on the bucket list next. And hopefully we'll be able to get that, get back to normal soon. And that kind of keys us up right here. You know, lastly, buddy, once this pandemic is over, you know, the world opens up again and there aren't any travel restrictions. What's the first thing you envision yourself doing? I'd like to go to L.A. because uh, L.A. was actually a trip I would planned just before, um, you know, the, everything kind of shut down. I'd actually booked off time um, and I was planning to go um, see a game at the Staples Center and also taking March Madness because they're both uh, happening at the end of March and I'd actually planned that all out so <laughs> I had those two outs those two games planned out as well as a game at Dodger Stadium there um, so I had booked off the time had got the tickets had everything all booked the Airbnb and unfortunately the uh, pandemic happened and so um, then I had to cancel <laughs> the entire trip and everything and um, that's something that I've kind of wanted to do for a while um, you know, I, I, like I said, I went to the U.S. Open last summer and I was able to explore other parts of New York that I haven't been able to see before. And uh, L.A. is one of the cities I definitely want to knock off the bucket list and also at the same time knock off the sports bucket list as well. Some things I wanted to personally do myself. And so, um, yeah, once uh, everything clears up, I'd love to kind of rebook all that and try to do that.
Well, Chico, I I hope you can get up there sooner rather than later and that this pandemic will come to an end. But I thank you so much for coming on my podcast today, man. I I enjoyed working alongside you at the score. And hopefully, like I said before, we can get everyone together once this reaches its course and we can grab a beer and share some stories. But before we sign off, buddy, let the listeners know where they can find you on the web. Yeah, you can find me uh, Chico underscore N. So that's C-H-I-C-C-O. Uh, that's same on Twitter or Instagram. And um, yeah, you can find me there. And as well, I do have a website, which is just my first and last name and .com at the end. Chico, you're the man. Thanks again, buddy. Always a pleasure, Walter. Thanks for having me. And that was my interview with Chico Nishan. Go ahead and give him a follow on Twitter at Chico underscore N. I want to get everyone from the score on at some point. Those are some of the best people, if not the best, that I've ever had the pleasure of working with, and I know they're all killing it with their writing as per usual, albeit remotely, of course. So I mentioned the Serge Ibaka news in the intro, and before I sign off here, we now have it being reported that Marcus Saul is joining the Los Angeles Lakers and Aaron Baines is coming to Toronto. It's a, a lot to digest, you know, two important front court pieces for the Raptors, both leaving for Los Angeles in less than 24 hours, albeit to two different teams. Uh, there's a sentimental love for both of those guys, you know, keep hearts to the championship squad in 2019. I'm sure I'll talk more about them on an upcoming episode, but for now, you know, it stings. It really does. You know, the wounds are fresh, but I wish them nothing but the best. You'll always be a part of the franchise. You know, the fans will always love you, and that rings true here. As for Baines, I mean, he's not an exciting pickup, but he's a brute and doesn't eat up too much cap space, especially for next season when it matters most. But again, I'll talk more about those moves on the next podcast. For now... This has been episode 22 of the Walder Sportscast. Please leave a rating and review if you like what you heard. Download the podcast on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, Podbean, or basically everywhere at this point. And please remember to wear a mask. We're still in the thick of it with this pandemic, and we all need to do our part. That's another one in the books. So as always, I'll see you on the next episode. Thank you for listening to the Walder Sportscast. Hit that subscribe button on iTunes and follow Chris on both Twitter and Instagram at Walder Sports.